What's going on, golf addicts? Welcome to the Tour Junkies podcast. It's another episode with our friend Mark Hill, our resident Tour Junkies European Tour expert in betting and DFS. Mark is a new addition to the Tour Junkies team. We're so grateful to have him. Born and based out of Northern Ireland, Mark has 10 plus years of experience full-time working in the betting industry and knows his stuff. He is going to be here every week that there's a European tour event. He's going to be right here on the Tour Junkies channel on YouTube, breaking down all the action, giving you some picks, giving you some takes. So it's going to be great content. We're really proud of it. And Mark's going to help you get a lot of green screens and some winning tickets to that ticket window. So as always, presented by our friends at FantasyNational.com. Head over to FantasyNational.com now slash TJ to get 20% off any membership level, weekly memberships, monthly or annual. You get 20% off if you try it for a week and you love it. You can upgrade to a month or, or the annual membership and still get the 20% off. It's where we've been going for four plus years to get all our PGA Tour data. They don't have European Tour stuff yet, but maybe soon to come. Uh, but if you're looking for that, if you're betting on PGA Tour, playing DraftKings, anything at all, fantasynational.com slash TJ is where it's at. And all the data is licensed by the PGA Tour to Fantasy National. So you know it's good. Hello and welcome to another European Tour Tour Junkie show. I am delighted this week to be joined by Tom Jacobs of the Mayo Media Network, uh, Odds Checker US, Lost for Words podcast. As you can tell, uh, a lot more versed on European Tour stuff than me. <laughs> Tom, delighted to have you on this week. Uh, welcome on board to the Tour Junkies. Mark, thank you very much. Glad to uh, glad to be a part of the show. Um, don't sell yourself short. Uh, you know, <laughs> I've obviously been doing it for a couple of years, so, but you've been doing a fantastic job. Uh, easy to run a show on your own. Uh, I've, I've not tried it yet, uh, but, I, but I've imagined what it would be like, and, and I think you've done really well. So um, glad I can help you out this week, and uh, going forward, it should be good as well. You know, I'm just hoping you can uh, rub off on me coming off a win last <laughs> week. How uh, many wins that this year? You've been do- doing fairly well. Even your, co- your co-hosts yeah. and stuff have been going well. Over the over the, the, the Mayo Media, we had five picks over the year. It's uh, probably about four or five again, and lost for words as well. A little bit of a spell at the moment where we've had one, two in Mallorca, the one two last two two in the Portugal as well. So, um, been pretty impressive, but as we know, Mark, it's uh, not the easiest thing to sustain. Uh, but hopefully, one more event before the uh, the European tour bows out. That's it. Like, I, I thought I was doing well knocking on the door last week with Min Wu Lee and uh, Adrian Moronk, and then I see basically all the Twitter tights <laughs> and, and everyone else seemed to be on Hansen. You know, it was like, all right, okay. Um, yeah, uh, back to the drawing board. <clears throat> I did think to myself, right, we're, we're having the new DP World Tour, European Tours in the back window. Things are all going yeah. to change. And then I can change it up. I can rip up my model. I can get this off season. And then I hear we're back going again in another week or Next so. Week. so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no rest for the wicked. It's like the PJ Tour, I think, at least takes off a week. And uh, we haven't even got that this time. We're down in South Africa next week. Um, a lot of challenge tour guys to to learn about, so there's going to be plenty to learn. Mark, but um, we we can figure it out and, and get moving before the year's end. That's it. So this week we're off to Dubai, but I want to just get a bit of a background about yourself. So as I said before, we come on uh, a lot of my PGA betting was sort of built around what I was doing, and then I was a member of the Tour Junkies for a couple of years, and then I taught 
they needed a guy to do the European tour. I stepped up and it's sort of been a baptism of fire, but you've been living and breathing this for a couple of years. Um, firstly, where do you find all the time to watch the European tour, PGA tour, <laughs> content and maintain a job? So um, just a little bit of background about yourself would be great. Yeah, so I think it's probably dating back to maybe 2012, 2013. Uh, there was a guy called Mike Mark Golf for people out there that have been following along for a long time. Uh, and he used to produce these uh, form sheets, right? It was literally just course current form. Um, and I just did some bets with that. You know, me, me and my dad were just betting every week on golf. Um, figured we were doing quite well and uh, I sort of dived into it. And it was originally uh, a website called The Football Family, which we branched off into the golf family. Uh, started doing a lot of written content. Uh, i got to be honest, got a little bit disillusioned with just writing every week. I think there was quite a saturated market. Um, and then when when the, the lockdown happened the pandemic happened i decided to launch the the lost for words podcast um had a lot of good guests on there uh me and jason obviously now run the betting show each week uh, and now obviously part of pat's uh media network as well so really really fortunate to have a, a lot of places to talk and you know Ozcheck us now as well um pga tour content so just just you know like i say it's just reps like just constantly just talking golf um you know how i fit it in i don't know <laughs> um, I've already done three shows this week, um, and and you know what? It, it it just never gets dull. Like that's the best thing about it. Like especially tour, like there's just so much going on. The times don't work out. I mean, the round was basically over the last two times I woke up at the weekend. Uh, <laughs> sorry, on the Thursday and Friday, but the weekend was not so bad. Um, but you do get some you do get some decent events during the year where um, it works out better. Yeah, it's one of those ones as well. <clears throat> I think we touched upon it. PGA Tour, you have an abundance of stats and websites and information to hand. European Tour, you know, we, we go into it and the week of the tournament, the course doesn't even have any stats or yardage or anything. Um, each week, it's a lottery whether we're going to get strokes gain data for individual players yeah. in the field. And yeah, it's it's a different kettle of fish from the uh, PGA Tour. I can't anyway. which event it was, but they actually had the caddies doing the uh, the, the strokes gain data at one of the European tournaments. New Yorker was definitely um, one. Um, yeah. And I can't remember the guy who it was. French guy, I think it was. He had strokes gain that was like, it might have been Gourier. It might have been Scare Seagrass. Yeah, he's like, his approach numbers were like 12 strokes gained. And it was like, that's just absolutely <laughs> true. Like he's in like 47th place, you know. This is inaccurate. So, um to see how it goes on i know i've I've talked to one professional better and he says when he approaches the european tour he basically just knocks out the bottom 15 percent of the field before he does any stats or you know adjusted numbers or anything at all just knock out the bottom 15 20 percent of the field it's a lottery whether you're going to get stats for them and the big difference with the pga tour to european tour is that you have the i don't want to be derogatory towards the bottom end of the european tour at times but a lot of amateurs come in a lot of locals come in and we'll sort of skew those numbers, if you like, if you're working off stroke skiing data and that kind of thing. So he just wipes out the bottom 15, 20% of the field and really yeah. does his adjustments based on, on everything else. So I think that's pretty smart. I think, yeah. it, there's, you know, it's so hard. You say, like, you know, you've got Fancy National on the PGA Tour, really good stuff. Um, you know, we've got, you know, I use tour tips over here that there's some good, there's some good data, but it's not quite up to the level. I mean, you go on, like you said, the European Tour website is so basic. Uh, <laughs> one week we had a course where there was just 18 holes at 440 yards, par fours. So yeah. um, it is a bit of a lottery, but we know what we're dealing with this week, and that's the main thing. 
That makes a big difference and that brings us nicely into the course breakdown and key stats. So this week we are at the earth course of the Jumurai Golf Estates in Dubai, which follows on from last week's tournament uh, at the neighbouring fire course. Par 72, 7,675 yards, Greg Norman designed course, Bermuda greens, large, undulating, fast, firm, not to everybody's liking. So that might be a differentiator for us this week. Uh, measuring around 12.5, 12.6 on the stimp. Um, course itself little less exposed than last week in terms of to the wind and the elements um but definitely plenty of length stuff i've looked at this week in terms of the stats then off the tee driving distance fairly stereotypical that i'm falling into and i've looked at adjusted strokes gain generally um tee to green putting for me the putting side of it you really have to look at quite niche uh golfers who can adapt and play well on fast uh fast green so there is at least one guy i'm fading this week uh, in the dfs side of things and obviously in my my matchup as well for best bets where i think he prefers slower greens and and has his eye in on those sort of things so i'm, I'm taking one on anything in particular that you've looked at this week in terms of stats and obviously we have a lot of course history to work off as well which helps yeah i think one i think one obviously the course history helps a lot i think there are certain events in a season where it counts for more than others um I don't think it's any real one standout. Like if you look at the, the winners here in the past, you've got Matt Fitzpatrick, you've got John Rahm, you've got Danny Willett, Rory McIlroy, Henry Extension. It's it's so broad. Like generally speaking, other than Matt Fitzpatrick, it's kind of just pure ball strikers, green merchants. You know, Alvar, Robert Carlson, early winners here, like long off the tee. Um, but you know, if Matt Fitzpatrick can win anywhere, then then you know that it's a kind of course that sets up to anyone that's uh, hot that week. I think, like you say, it's just going to get in the putter hot. Um, slightly less exposed than last week, but I think the form from, I don't necessarily think it's massively beneficial to have played last week, but I think those that did play well last week can carry that over. And I also think that just generally Middle Eastern form, like if you play well in Dubai as a classic, if you play well in the Abu Dhabi Championship, that's always really going to serve you well here. Yeah, absolutely. And it's completely remiss of me. I missed out on the podcast, Juice, and it sounds like you've... uh... Rated the old Christmas store from last year. What have you on this week for the podcast? <laughs> so, so I've got a stout about it. It is called, and it is it's supposedly a vanilla stout. So a really <laughs> fancy version of a Guinness. Uh, all I can tell you is it tastes like an ashtray. Um, I'm going to get through it because you know that's part of part of the show. Um, but no, but it's good stuff. It's uh, it's going to get me going. I've got a day out in London tomorrow as well, so get started early. And, and cheers, Mark, for having me up. Cheers. Well, I am in exactly the same boat in that for the second week in a row, I didn't get to the off-license or the liquor store, as you call it, in the US uh, to to sort of find a niche beer or a niche drink. Dubai, as you know yourself, it's quite difficult to get uh, <laughs> alcoholic beverages full stop. Um, you flagged one to me on Twitter that's sort of a, a niche beer, but I've had to end up rating leftover Christmas stock from last year, and I am on Deserano, which is obviously an Italian liqueur, so... Cheers, Tom, and welcome, as I said, for the show. So we will have a look at the top of the betting board then. And it's one of these weeks where it's obviously condensed fields. I think it's the 53 man field. Um, yeah. We were looking at the tea times earlier, and poor, uh, <laughs> who was it? Sorry. James poor, Morrison. Uh, James Morrison. Yeah. Is, is on his own. Like, how, like, for me, if you were in that side, that top 60 race to Dubai all year, sort of on the bubble, and then they turn around to you and you finish 55th, or, or Andy Sullivan, like last week, thinks he's maybe done well, got over the line, and then 
sorry guys, it's going to be invite only outside of the top 50 available players in the race to Dubai. And you end up on a field of 53, you don't even even it out at the minute. So logic, I have no idea where it comes from on the European Tour at times. Um, uh, the invites <laughs> as well. I mean, look, Lee Westford was the winner of this whole race of Dubai last year and, and he's not here. And the year that he had, I know he's failed <laughs> off and things like that, but you start inviting, I understand Patrick Reed's a pretty good supporter of the European Tour for all his all his negatives yeah. that people have about him. Sergio Garcia is a stalwart of the European Tour and just played pretty well at the Ryder Cup again. So I can understand why they're here. But Andy Sullivan, what was he? I mean, he was five birdies on the Eagles to finish off, thinks he's got in, fist pumping all the house and uh, gets told he's not in. And Podrick no, Harrison was sweating in the entry as well. So um, it was tough. I mean, it's not a good look. The people that can win the race of Dubai this week, it's not it's not great for the European Tour, that's all I'll say. I think that's probably something we should touch upon for anyone that's that's not familiar. The format this week is sort of twofold. We have the normal tournament. That's what the bulk of what myself and Tom are going to be talking about. But there's also the race to Dubai and... The, how many guys, Tom, is it that can actually win the race to Dubai this week? So you've got Colin Morikawa, Billy Horschel, Tyrrell Hatton, Minwoo Lee, Matt Fitzpatrick and Paul Casey. Uh, Colin Morikawa is leading the way and uh, I think he played one regular European tour event. So uh, <laughs> it's, it's a tough scene. Yeah, at least Billy it. Horschel won at Wentworth. That's it. And we'll come upon the, come upon the uh, picks in a minute. And Billy Horschel is one of the guys that's going to make my card. So... It is. It is that. Like when he, well, I'll get into it whenever we go. <laughs> we go over the actual uh, card, but certainly with Billy Ho, he's been over. He's been a good supporter of the tour. He's won on the European Tour this year, and um, still think there's a bit of an inflated price about him. But we'll get into that shortly. Top of the betting board, then. I say you can make a case for so many names in this field. There is a wide variety of guys that are in this short range. Rory McIlroy at six to one. Colin Morikawa eight to one. Matthew Fitzpatrick fourteen to one, Abraham Answer sixteen to one, and then Garcia and Fleetwood at eighteen to one. It's it's a fairly good, obviously for European standards, it's a it's a, it's a top end field. We have a lot of names there. I was very very drawn to Rory this week. The change of coach was something that was drawing me in. Um, going back to basics, obviously coming off a win as well. It I was drawn to him. I was drawn to him, but the price at six to one. Whenever you have such a competitive field put together, it just wasn't enough for me. Maybe it's one of these ones that I'll jump on in play, uh, have a look at round to round, maybe look at some individual matchups as we go in. But at six to one, I, I couldn't get there. Elsewhere on the board, um, yeah, Fleetwood's going to be my first pick. We'll talk about that shortly. But I think you can make a case for all those guys at the top of the board. Is there anyone that sort of was on your end of things that you were close to? So I think Fitzpatrick would have been for me, obviously two-time winner at the event. Um, you know, he's been pretty rock solid all season long. Obviously had that win at Valderrama. Um, you know, the, the two wins and a fourth about a guy that just repeats form wherever he goes, right? I, I did like that. It's funny you talk about Roy McElroy because I just find it really easy to fade him because in betting, <laughs> obviously, just because when he's yeah. six to one, right? I mean, anyone basically that we put on our card this week, if you do a top five or an each way, um, we'll pay the same odds. And I haven't got a sweat over him winning the tournament, you know. McElroy is going back to basics. You know, I think there's still a little bit of confusion. I don't think Pete Cowan realizes he's been fired yet. So um, I think that's still a little <laughs> it bit sounds a bit that way, yeah. Yeah. Um, but look, two first, uh, a second, a third, a fourth, and a fifth. And another top nine as well. I mean, he's he's had one finish that you'd say was really poor here when he was twentieth out of fifty or sixty. Then, um, so look, uh, you know, it's Rory McIlroy's European tour, but I'll uh, I'll go further down the board. 
Well, I'm going to start off then with the betting picks, and my first pick is Tommy Fleetwood at eighteen to one. I ran through so. We talked about it before. Obviously, with Fantasy National, we don't have access to European Tour data. One site I do use, and I know you've referenced it on your own shows before, is Data Golf. So I looked at the last twenty-four rounds, which is something we would do quite a lot if we were using Fantasy National doing PGA Tour. You hear DB and Pat on the main PGA Tour show talk about Fantasy National all the time and looking at the last twenty-four rounds in different categories. Tommy Fleetwood grades out second in this field in adjusted strokes gain total at the minute, so he's got the form on his side. And at eighteen to one, compared to some of the other guys who are ahead of him uh, in the betting side of things, I think he's starting to put the game together. Um, looking at it, obviously got win equity. Hasn't been there the last two years on tour. He is always making the cut, or, or nine times out of ten, he's making the cut. I think it was three missed cuts this year in twenty twenty one, but hasn't got across the line for the win. He's a good enough golfer to get there, and we've seen, as I say, recent form. He's heating up nicely. Uh, last missed cut was way back when at the PGA Championship. Uh, three top tens of late at the Italian Open, Alfred Dunhill and the Zozo, Zozo uh, back on the PGA Tour, um, and warmed up nicely then with a T13 finish last week at the Fire Course. So a player that, for me, has the win equity long term. He's been out of form for the last couple of years. But we're seeing signs on the board now that he's starting to come back around. 18-1 to 1 in this field, I, I'm happy enough to take a chance over some of the other guys that are around him at the top of the board. I could have made a case for like Sergio Garcia. Um, obviously, course form ticks a lot of boxes there. Matthew Fitzpatrick as well in terms of the course form. And then you, you take the other guys at the top of the board with Morikawa and Answer and maybe not have or having a few more question marks about how they adapt over here. So especially answer as a course debutante. So Tommy Fleetwood at 18 to 1, uh, he starts my board. Have you any thoughts there? My only thought with Tommy Fleetwood is so it's always been tee to green right with Tommy Fleetwood. Like that's just just what he is. Like he's a brilliant driver of the golf ball, great approaches, and he's always been a little bit suspect on the greens. And when he was back winning and winning regularly, uh, he was volatile on the greens, but like a Morikawa, like one week he just hit, and when he hit, he was winning or contending. Uh, and over the last couple of years, during the pandemic and stuff like that, I think he's been quite mentally affected, young family, I'm guessing, I don't know. Um, but he, he seems to have not been right. And I think that's slowly turning around. I think either side of the Ryder Cup, we've seen some good performances. Um, you look at the current form, he's obviously fifth in the field for that, second, seventh, seventh, and the 13th recently. But I think... Maybe because I've watched too much of him recently, just on the passing greens, visually just worries me. I mean, like, because, like, Wiesberger, who I'm going to come on to in a minute, is not passing well. But he's mm-hmm. hitting the ball better than Tommy Fleetwood. And I and I believe that Wiesberger can make more putts than Fleetwood. Now, I'd love Tommy Fleetwood to prove me wrong. He's he's an excellent, you know, European Tour player, brilliant ambassador. Um, but I, I just think there's a bit more upside in the next guy. Yeah, I, I I find it hard to argue. Would you be surprised if last twenty four rounds Tommy Fleetwood is tenth in this field in adjusted strokes gain putting? That, I would. That surprised well, me. Watching him, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't know whether they put too much weight into just PGA Tour stuff over European Tour stuff, but yeah, the man you're about to come on to then is Bernd Wiesberger at twenty to one. So tell me why you're putting him up as your first selection. He, I mean, look, everybody's going to be putting Bert Wiesberger up, so I'm not going to be original by any <laughs> means. Um, the only way I'd be original is by fading him, but he's by far and away the best tee screen player in the, in the field at the moment. Uh, very similar to kind of like Russell Henley on the PGA Tour for guys that are watching that. Um, he, he's just a putting stroke away from winning, but 
there's enough to me to believe that he can just start making the putts when it happens. And, and I kind of thought stupidly that people would be off him because his course history isn't great. Um, he's got a fourth place finish here. And, and other than that, it's pretty sad. Um, but the, even the last couple of years that he's been here, he's put in some decent rounds. And I just think he's a better player than his course history suggests. And yeah, I just think he's got all the winning upside. You know, we've seen him win, what is it, four or five times over the last couple of years. Like, we know what he is. He's just got himself in the Ryder Cup. Um, so, yeah, I, I love what Bert Eastwick is doing. He should have won last week. There's no, like, I mean, obviously I paraded around at a J.B. Hansen win, but, like, if Bert Eastwick had anything like a putter, like, I think you could have putted for him, Mark, and, and he, <laughs> he probably would have won. But, um, yeah, look, all he needs is a, is a good putting week and he'll win. Yeah, he's... F- on the data golf side of things, he's first in tee to green, first in ball striking in this field, first on approach, fifth and off the tee, um, and they're adjusted last 24 rounds. But it's that putter, 51st in this field, according to their adjusted stats. Now, as I said, I have a feeling that they're maybe overweighting the PGA aspect against yeah. the European Tour fields, but certainly the putter is the one that he has to come around. Do you, generally, you've been doing this for a long time, do you find that poor putters, when it's fast and firm over slow, do you find much difference there in terms of even putting services where Bermuda here? Like, do you get a chance to really dig deep into do do poor putters do better on a, a faster surface over a slow surface? Anything like that? I think because, like you referenced at the start, that the the stats are just not as good in European soil. Like, I think you just have to kind of manually do it, and I just don't because. Yeah. I could spend all that time on it and he'll just putt terribly anyway. So um, I think when you, we've got with Fancy National on the PJ Tour where you've got the splits of different green surfaces, it obviously pays itself off. But for me, I'm just kind of hoping. Like, And and, and it is purely like guesswork as to when... like If either of Fleetwood or Peaceburg are putt well, they're going to be like the one-two. And, and I wouldn't be surprised at all to see that. Um, so I'm just going to ride Peaceburg and, and hope he gets that victory he deserves. Well, I'm going to go on to a double pick here because they're both at 22 to 1. And that's Paul Casey and Billy Horsell. No introduction needed to any of the PGA Tour audience that are joining us this evening or, or on the podcast as well. For Paul Casey, I think we touched upon it earlier uh, pre show where he sent me a message on Twitter. I flagged up that <laughs> Standard DraftKings, they have a big out listed against Paul Casey this week. And I said, listen, that's that's a nailed-on DraftKings selection. The more I started to dig into Paul Casey, uh, looking at the history in not just Dubai, but in terms of the region in the Middle East, he has a lot of win equity there. And obviously the price point as well at 22 to 1. Started off the, the, the season with a win. Um, where was that? Sorry. Uh, He's in uh, Abu Dhabi, wasn't it? It was Abu Dhabi. I knew it was in the Middle East somewhere. Um, Abu Dhabi do. Dubai, so, sorry. It was Dubai Desert Classic. Was it? Yeah, it's all my fault. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Dubai Desert Classic, yeah, at the start of the year. Um, I can't remember if you remember the pictures at the time, but he was so emotional to get over the line after yeah. a bit of a dip in form in the last couple of years. I think there's going to be sort of fond memories coming back to the region now. There's no pressure on him to do well in this sort of loaded field, if you like. And I just think that weight off Paul Casey and the ability just to go out there and play as golf is something that suits him generally. Um, in terms of the stats-wise, I think the putter again is the concern there for me with uh, Casey of late. But some of the other stuff, he grades out ninth in the field and adjusted strokes gain total over the last 24 rounds, sixth on approach, AFT to green. So we're getting another decent ball striker on side. Um, 
I don't have too much concerns over the length side of things. So in general, it's a golfer that's sort of going under the radar a little bit, likes the region, has win equity when the pressure's off. And I, yeah, I, I, I struggle to, to come away from this week. So a 22 to 1, that's my second selection. And then Billy Horschel as well. Yeah, you, you opened up the show by saying that, you know, the likes of Colin Morikawa and stuff, they haven't really done their, their service to the European Tour this year. They're here on, on majors and, and that performance, which you can't take away from the high-end golfers. But Billy Ho, anytime he drops into the European Tour, comes over here, again, it's another high-end golfer that just looks relaxed when he comes over to the European Tour. There doesn't seem to be the same fanfare about him, unless the West Ham supporters or players are <laughs> <laughs> sort of getting yeah. in around him. One at Wentworth um, in impressive fashion. And in general, another golfer that I just think at the price point at 22 to 1 and same as high as 28 to 1 in places, uh, lower down on DFS at 9,200. It's a price play for me that Casey and Horschel coming in relaxed and nothing to prove, if you like, against some of the other guys that maybe Rory has a bit more pressure on him. Some of the European guys have a bit more pressure on them. Uh, I, I'm happy to have both those guys on, on side this week. Yeah, and a couple of things with that. I mean, obviously, Paul Casey, it's all about not being a pressure on him. I mean, if he gets to Sunday and he's got a chance to win, there will be because he can win that race to Dubai, but it would take a lot. Like, Morikawa's got to drop down. Horschel's got to drop down. Like, it probably still won't happen. And realistically, like you said, a lot of you referenced there about how emotional he was from the Dubai as a classic. And it was actually the major at the PGA when Morikawa won the, mm-hmm. uh, back at um, Harding Park, where it really looked like he like he was really jubilant about it and he realised that he'd done basically everything he could have done that week and Morikawa just beat him and, and that's a really good feeling. Like You didn't throw it away. Um, there was nothing else that you could do. Um, so I think he's in a really positive place. I think that if he gets in amongst it over the weekend, he'll be fine as well. Um, as I said to you earlier, if you're taking someone a bit further down the field, it's got to be someone elite and, and him and Billy both fill in that bracket. Um, there's a question from Colin Thompson about his point Casey out of the field. He's not. Uh, the out sign is just lingering over from a couple of weeks ago when he pulled out on the PGA Tour at the Zozo. So no concerns there for Paul Casey. Um, Billy Horshaw is yeah. funny because he... Loves West Ham, apparently. Um, I, I think this is good for it, whatever his agents have set up, right? But he got asked what was his favourite golf course in the southeast of England. Um, the person that asked it was probably expecting to say Wentworth, considering he just won there. And he racked his brain saying that he doesn't think he's ever played in the southeast of England. <laughs> um, oh, no, wait, yes, I have once at Royal St. George. So he said Royal well, St. George. And I was like, no, no, you won at Wentworth. <laughs> so, you know, that, that that's what I find funny about Billy Horshaw. But he's he is great. Like, And as you say, I think the PGA Tour guys come over and they know they're better than 90% of the field. They know that all the fans are going to be appreciative because people like Billy Horshaw, Bryson, they kind of divide opinion in, in America, right? When they're out in, out in the ropes, like people heckle them or whatever. On the European Tour, they're just so grateful to see these guys because they're Absolutely. so talented. And that I think it does suit them. So I don't even think it's just purely field strength. I think, like you say, it's just the relaxation um, and, and things like that. I think the courses suit them and, and they just fly away. Absolutely. Uh, your next pick is a European Tour stalwart, but he's obviously won recently on the Sunshine Tour. Tell me about Dean Burmeister. Yeah, Dean Burmeister is, is one of those, like I just said, you have to, you have, to have winning upside is one. And I think you have to have signs that you can mix it in this field and that's why i don't want to go too far down the board this week but when you look at dean burmester he's got two top four finishes here 
uh, and a 14th when he shot a 76 in round two, I think it was. So he's already mixed it with the very best in this field. Obviously loves the golf course. He, I, I thought he could go back-to-back -back winning the Sunshine event and then coming into uh, into Dubai, and he didn't. Um, but that's you know that's nothing to, to really hold against him. He was first in the Tenerife Open earlier in the year, fourth in the Canary Island, sixth in the Betfred British Masters. So he can go on a run, um, and he's now returning to a golf course that he absolutely loves. So... I was actually quite grateful that he's once it realized he was because I actually bet him last week at 25 to one. And once it realized that he was out of contention, I was just lapping up the bogeys, hoping that he was just going to drift out to a price <laughs> this week um, because I was going to bet him no matter what. That's it. Like last week, I took him at 25 to one, put him up on the Tour Junkie show. Yeah. First couple of days, I thought, oh, we're, uh, we're in the mix here. Maybe that travel, maybe the fatigue kicked in a little bit. <coughs> Excuse me. And he sort of faded away as the week went on and a couple of my other guys started to come into contention. But yeah, you're right. Two fourth place finishes here. Distance off the tee, you know, given the length of the course, it's not something we typically see on the European tour. So yeah, ticks a lot of boxes and you're getting about 40 to one this week, 25 to one last week. Obviously the step up in terms of the class in the field, but he has all the game to to do well again this week. So can't put anyone off Dean Burmeister. I, I think, I think like you say, there is a step up in class. So the price... The 40 to 1 doesn't excite me, by the way. Like It's not like, oh my God, you have to go and bet him. But I just, I've come to this kind of realisation myself that even if I made Dean Burmester 45 to 1 and 40 to 1, and 40 to 1 wasn't value as opposed to thinking he's rated 25 to 1, I'd rather back him at 40 to 1 and miss out. So <laughs> I kind of stick to these guys. Like They make perfect sense. Why would I go against it at 40 to 1? And it's another guy next up at 50 to 1 and Danny Willett that has win equity again maybe pressure off a little bit some you know a bit like uh horschel and, and casey that i tossed upon but you're getting an excellent price point at 50 to one tell me about why you're on danny willett so again it might just be a little bit of bias uh, i had him at 100 to one at the dunhill links uh biggest <laughs> win of the year um but look the reasons i picked him at dunhill links was because he's had great course history there or courses history there um he's played very very well in that event obviously won in the past um and then you know, you, you come to a course where he's gone first, fourth, and fifth here at, at the DP World. Um, after really struggling with it for, for a long period of his career, he, he really come out and, and figured it out. And I just think with Danny Willett, is like he needs something to get him going. Like he's now won a Masters, whatever it was, 2016, <laughs> 17, whatever it was. How do I get myself up for the magical Kenya Open? How do I get myself up for, you know, the, whatever? So when he goes to Dunhill Links, there's a bit of tradition there. Um, he's played well in the past, so he wants to get that win. Uh, it comes to the DP World Tour, he can go and take down Roy McIlroy, Colin Morikawa, and he can do that. Like, I won't pick anyone in this range I don't think can actually go on and win. Um, and I think that's very important. Like, Dean Burmester, maybe. I think Willie's actually got more win equity than, than Burmester. I think, I think Willie's probably the better bet, but um, Burmester's probably the safer play. Yeah, I can't put you off uh, Danny Willard at all this week. We're going to just keep rattling on here with some picks because we're. Try not to drag out the show too much. I know I know. for the Lost for Words podcast, I listen to it on my walk in the mornings, uh, usually on a Tuesday, uh, like so this morning. Listen to your podcast, listen to Golf Betting System, typically back-to-back. -back, and I think you just go for an hour and a half, typically. So, so. That must be a long old walk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Two uh, times speed, two times speed. Yeah, same, yeah. With, same when I'm listening to DB and Pat's, take it on two times speed and away we go. Um, I just want to touch upon briefly, so obviously the message in the chat came in there about Paul Casey. DraftKings do not pay any attention, full stop, 
two DFS contests for the European Tour. And it wouldn't surprise me. Like last week, we had Sam Horsfield in a very similar position, listed as out. And then you had a lot of guys ranting on Twitter, like he was supposed to be out. Why is he not there? If guys aren't listening or watching our show and we're talking about Paul Casey, he is in this tournament. You're probably going to get lower ownership in terms of DraftKings uh, off the back of him being listed as out. And also uh, Joachim Lagerin as well is also listed as out on DraftKings. And to my knowledge, he's teeing up as well. So, yeah, the DK just at the minute, European Tour doesn't really come in. And we're obviously an NFL season, NBA system. It's understandably dropping season. down. It's all... It's, it's all season, isn't it? That's what it matters. In the yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's dropped down the boards. Um, but, yeah, always double-check your references. Check tee times over what DK are listing for players being out because nine times out of ten, they're actually going to be playing and it's stuck in the system from a previous week. I think Andy Sullivan was another that was listed out maybe last week or the week before and obviously teed up and, and played. So definitely don't hold water into what is uh, listed on the DK prices and, yeah. Do your own research in the background. So Paul Casey, as I said, is absolutely in this week, as is Joachim Lagerin. We've had no additional withdrawals outside of the tee times that are out there at the minute. Um, I don't believe anyone's coming in for 54th place, Tom. I haven't heard anything. I know no. Padraig Harrington was sort of third on the waiting list, and he said, no, I'm I'm off. I'm away on my holidays. So, um, yeah, it sounds like we're, we're set with a 53-man field. Poor, poor James Morrison teeing off on his own. I think he's the longest uh, priced golfer in the field as well at 200 to 1, 275 to 1 in places and just 6,100 6, in DraftKings. So. I've got to be honest, Mark. Until you sent me the screenshot to say he's playing on his own, I wasn't even entirely sure he was playing. I don't quite know how he's made it here. Uh, he's got there. I, I backed him earlier in the year in Spain and he shot an opening round 60 and I think he finished like 35th. Like he broke the course record and, and just <laughs> nothing. So uh, I've put James Morrison firmly in my uh, rear view. Your next pick then is Garrick Higgo at 70 to 1. This one surprised me of all of your picks. So, like, when I looked at the adjusted strokes gained, he was sort of dropping down there. I think he's, his form has been erratic, perhaps. So, why why Garrick Higgo? What, what's drawn you to him this week? Yeah, uh, I mean, a decent price point as well at 70 to 1. I think for me, like, the, the, there's two of these th- reasons, really. One, I think, like you say, he's erratic, but I, I consider it volatile in the sense that he'll either, you know, place or miss the cut. Well, the good thing here is there isn't a cut. Um, and I just think he's the type that can just go and shoot at 63 on Sunday um, and, and just fly himself up the leaderboard, 64, whatever. And when you go, you know, I was a. I was a massive believer that he was actually a bit of a flash in the pan and and, and I was obviously wrong because he went on to go and win uh, the Palmetto on the PGA Tour, which, again, maybe a little bit of a gift. Um, Chesson Hadley should have won that there, shouldn't he? But, um, you know, for me, he's proven himself at the European Tour level. He's now gone and done it at the PGA Tour. Last two events, 34th and 64th, uh, are obviously nothing to shout about, but Bermuda, he was really, really good for three rounds. Uh, and I'm pretty sure he had a 63, I think it was, in round three. Uh, round two, sorry, at uh, Mexico as well. So just for me, I just think that there's plenty of opportunity for him to score. So that 70 to one is more of an each way or a top five play for me, just because I think he can climb the leaderboard. Um, and I think he's perfect for DraftKings scoring. Like I just think he can go on a run and just get some streaks. I think he's a guy that can go in the pools when people are birdieing. Um, and, you know, you don't have to worry about the mixed cut. That's that's the main thing for Gary Higa. <laughs> Yeah, I, I can't can't argue with that. Like, 
I think he, he grades out 45th on the, adjust, the adjusted strokes gain, but he's 22nd in the field and off the tee. He's 28th yeah. in approach. So the ball striking is absolutely on side there with you. And then some of the other stats as well. Uh, he grades out 18th in driving distance. And this is the one from Tour Tips, Stanley's site. So uh, on putts attempted over the last 15 weeks, he's 10th in the field. Um, so, yeah. Uh, does that add up with what you're seeing with the eye? Because on strokes gain putting, he's 33rd, but that's an adjusted number, and obviously Stanley's number is a bit more raw. Yeah, and I think for me, look, you know, he he had that win in the Palmetto, and I think you know he probably wasn't expecting to win the PJ Tour. Like he thinks he'd probably hang there, but all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm a PJ Tour winner. That's a two year exemption. <laughs> um, a lot of miscuts and a lot of withdrawals since then, or a kind of withdrawal, sorry, that the St. Jude. Um, and it's not been great, right? You know, 75th at the Zozo, 34th in Bermuda, 64th at Mike Hayward. It looks terrible. But just the fact that those low rounds are still there, just the fact that when he comes back to the European Tour, the, the depth in the field is going to be gone. I know we've got the top guys, but once you've got past the top six or seven in the betting, maybe 10 in the betting, um, is there anyone more talented than him? You know, upside-wise, probably not. Um, a guy that you're going to come on to in a, in a moment as well is someone that I like for the same reasons. Uh, I just think there's a very clear bottom tier of players in this field, and, and he's not in it. Yeah, and I would say, um, I'd say Skyler is probably a bit surprised that Guido Migliozzi is coming in at ninety to one, one hundred and ten to one in places. So that's you know the PGA Tour guys. Uh, Guido seems to have fallen off a cliff in terms of his form from earlier in the year. Uh, he's coming at a bigger price point than these two guys uh, in Garakego, and then my final selection at seventy to one is Adrian Moronk. Eighth place finished last week, and I was on him at 66 to 1. 37th in the race to Dubai. He's had a solid all round season, but he's still seeking that maiden tour victory. Does he have the upside to win here? Probably not, but he has the upside to be in contention and to be getting those points on DFS and to be really in the mix again for another top 10 finish. The driving distance off the tee, he has, um, he can shoot low. He, desert form, second place on the challenge tour in 2017 at Alhambra Golf Club, also in the United Arab Emirates, and a 27th in the 2020 Saudi International. He's just a player that's sort of trending in the nice form. He came in last week and just went about his business very quietly, but quietly but successfully. I think if we look at the likes of Amin, Minwoo Lee was quite similar in terms of up the board and was knocking around all week, um, just putting together nice rounds and then didn't really get himself into contention. Morong's coming in at a much bigger price. And for me at 70 to 1, I have to have a little bit of a nibble on it. He's just got that skill set that you want in a modern day golfer. And I know that's a very easy thing to say, but he just absolutely mashes it. He makes a lot of putts uh, when he gets on a streak. Um, you know, I don't think there's a, a glaring weakness in his game. It's not like he's he's a bad passer or he's bad chipping like JB Hansen was last week. I was petrified he was gonna have to chip <laughs> at any point. Um, you know, I, I just think he's a very, very solid golfer. And to be honest, last year when he lost he, he came second in the Alfred Dunhill Championship in South Africa, he did shoot a final around 76. So you could say he threw that one away. Um, but he was going up against Christian Biswedenhout, who's obviously a favourite over there. Um Tenerife Open where he was third. He was six shots side Dean Burmester, but he just went mental on the final day. Um, third at the British Masters, just missed out on the playoff. Like, he's just been very, very solid. Even the Italian Open, he was second there, 67-66 over the weekend to lose by one to Nikolai Hoygaard, who gets all his plaudits. So, you know, for me, that there is there is there is winning upside. I think that he will 
hate to deal with uncertainties, Mark. I don't know how many times you've probably heard me say that when you've listened <laughs> to me. I don't like dealing with uncertainties. I don't like saying he's going to win because this is golf, right? He could just disappear off the face of the planet. But I see a win in 2022 for him. If he can go and place in the top five here this week, which I think he's got the upside to do, um, I think he's very, very good on DraftKings, then I think he's a good play. Yeah, for me, I, I tossed upon Minwoo Lee there. And Adrian Moronk can have the kind of season that Minwoo Lee had this year and sort of pre-pandemic coming in. Like, I think Minwoo Lee's next step is onto that PGA Tour, getting some majors under his belt. I think he's, he's knocking on the door now to qualify for the Masters and stuff. There's a lot of career progression imminent for Minwoo Lee. I think Adrian Moronk is one of those golfers that can now sort of make the progression on the European Tour up to that status where they get some wins under their belt in 2022, at least one anyway, maybe get into some WGCs and different bits and pieces uh, through exemptions and qualifications. And absolutely, he's a golfer, as you say, all nice all-round game. There's plenty of aspects to like, and he's flying the flag for Poland, which isn't necessarily a golfing nation, if you like, as well. There's, there's lots to like about him. He seems a likable character, and hopefully he is one that kicks on now in 2022. Yeah, let's um, let's talk very briefly before we pivot to the DFS side of things. So you cover PGA Tour in a lot of depth as well yeah. for the different guys that you work with. And I had a chuckle when I was listening to I think it was the Lost for Words one that you referenced this morning. Uh, yeah, it was when I was talk- listening to it. And the guys on the Tour Junkies, Pat and DB, obviously broke down the RSM Classic last night. If you haven't listened to that, definitely go and give it a listen. Watch back the show. I'm sure there'll be more content coming out from the guys in the next 24 hours. But this RSM Classic was one last year that I put my hat on and there was a golfer in the field that I felt was going totally under the radar and I put all my eggs in one basket last year, had them in every single DFS lineup. And then I listened this morning and I heard you reference you pretty much did exactly the same thing in Davis Thompson. And <laughs> yeah, Dad was the, the course clerk or, or uh, lots and lots of links and stuff. And I thought, great, the amateur record, everything was coming together. He was going under the radar, had money on him in a lot of match, or not matchups, sorry, but top 20s and uh, DFS exposure. Every single lineup put him in. And then he, day one, went absolutely atrociously. It sounds like you yep. were in a similar boat last year as well. So um, maybe not Davis Thompson this year, but uh, he's, he's one that's probably going, I will probably come back to when I'm doing a bit of PGA work tomorrow when I get a chance. But is there anyone that's sort of under the radar this week at the RSM that you like? Um, I've sort of put you on the spot a little bit. I, I guess it's, obviously I guess been it's tough. About it. No, I guess, I guess it's tough to say under the radar because he's a former winner there but I think Tyler Duncan's been overlooked because I think people don't believe that he can win twice at the same golf course um but when you actually look at it you know even before he won there he had a he had a 25th place finish um and he, he quietly shot a nice 66 on Sunday um in Houston as well which was which was really impressive and he had one bogey um, and for me it's just it's just people that just cannot seem to uh seem to think that he can't go and do it and that that for me is is wrong um, I think he absolutely can. You know, you've seen Robert Streb do it. If Robert Streb can do it, you know, he can do it. I don't think he's, he's a spectacular player, but he can he can perform where he performs. Um, Lee Hodges is someone that keeps flashing up to me for some reason or another. Um, I don't know why. I haven't looked too far into it. 
and the other one is Chad Ramey. You mentioned uh, data golf earlier. Um, he's kind of like 64th in their adjusted rankings as opposed to 168th or something in there. In oh, yeah, sorry. They're, they're overall like yeah, bare exactly world. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. So, I mean, that's obviously weighted lots of to recent form. But for me, those would probably be the biggest outsiders I'd go for in out of it. We have got some guys in the chat. Um, <laughs> I've seen a lot of familiar names from the Not Talk. But if any of you guys are tuning in, and you're looking at the European Tour field this week, who would you back this week? Who's your favourite bet to finish in the top 10? Drop it in the chat, and also put the word out there on Twitter. Like and subscribe. Get some more Tour Junkies audience onto the European Tour, or the DP World Tour, as it's going to be in the future, and send out some love as well to uh, to Tom there on Twitter. So, Tom, what is your, your Twitter handle? Uh, my Twitter handle is TomJacobs93, so uh, any abuse, just uh, direct to that way, <laughs> and uh, I'll be sure to take it on the chin. Oh, there was one. Um, there was one <laughs> recent review, I think, of Lost for Words that you put up that I had. Yeah, I couldn't believe some of the stuff that certain I, reviews I, come out with. I engaged one person on Twitter uh, based on something he said. Who was someone I'd spoken to a lot of the time in the past, who we got on quite well with, as far as I knew. Oh, really? um, and and he picked up on the fact that I said something about Hideki Matsuyama. He didn't. He didn't like him, <laughs> and it was wrong. Uh, and he, he's just said that we were clueless. And then the last two of the last three weeks, we had the first and second in the field in two seconds in Portugal so you Karma. know who he probably came and listened to my show instead and then I, he doesn't <laughs> yeah. get any winners so yeah <laughs> he, that's what you happens. know if, if that's if that's what he wants to do if he can't get past the third show that's up to him but um look we're not you know it's not for everybody like you know everybody has their own thing but for me like tour junkies doing absolute great work that's why i wanted to be on here um i'd obviously go and review the tour junkies website and, and click the like there as well because uh you know apple podcast that drives all the popularity um, it's key. Like, you know, as a podcast creator myself, I know how important that is. Like, we are, what's the time here, Mark, at the moment? It's quarter to midnight uh, for us over here. You know, we're, we're grinding away, trying to produce the content as best we can. Um, yes, Just Kissler, his name was Jeffrey, I believe. Um, so, yes, we've got <laughs> another Jeffrey on the, uh, on the European side of things as well. Lovely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. Like, we'll get into the DFS picks now because it's, it's one of those ones, DB and Pat obviously start off their show with the DFS and then get into the betting side of it. My background and my work and my full-time job is all in the betting industry, so that's why I sort of go the other way around. And obviously, contest-wise, we don't have as much of a selection, but I have to flag it straight up that the 10K contest this week is potentially going to have an underlay because there are an overlay because there's, uh, I think when last I looked, there was 800 people that were signed up for it. And I think the entry cap is around 2,400 or 2,300. So any guys that are listening to this, hopefully we're going to put a lineup together at the end of this, do the one minute men, and hopefully we get some winners. Um, it's DFS side of things this week. <clears throat> there is a plethora of golfers you can get to, and I'm going to kick it off then. So 9K range. And it's very, very boring. Tommy Fleetwood at 9.8 and Paul Casey at 9.4. I don't need to say any more about that. What I am going to say, though, is my fear in this range is Tyrrell Hatton. And Hatton, for me, is a golfer that has done well here before. I think he finished, was it 10th last year? Yeah, second and 10th the last two years. <clears throat> so, course history, he's going to draw a lot of ownership in terms of the DFS side of things. Off the tee at the minute, and the adjusted numbers, he's grading out 47th. Uh, overall ball striking 37th in the adjusted numbers. That has to be a concern for someone coming in at 10K. And the putting side of things, so 
I can't remember. It must have been the offer Dunhill were slower putting surface, and he was interviewed live on course by Sky Sports, and he was talking about how he feels more about getting his eye in on a slower surface, and you know he prefers that over the faster surfaces in the PGA Tour. And that sort of stuck in my mind. And we touched upon it at the, the course breakdown side of things where maybe there are golfers here that like a slower green over a faster green. And we're obviously getting a faster undulating green here. Now, <laughs> that doesn't back up with what the second and tenth place finishes in the last two years show me. But a 10K over some of the golfers at the lower end 9K range, I am going to put up Tyrrell Hatton as my fade. Which two guys have you landed on? Yeah, no, just to, just to sort of just to follow on from Cyril Hassan is that you look at his course record and he's got sixth, second, eighth, and eighth. So he's going to go on to that kind of uh, ownership. But when you look, he's at a 22nd and a 46th here. And I do know what I was looking at Tommy. I was looking at Tommy Fleetwood there rather than Cyril <laughs> Hatton in terms of the, the course history. Um, yeah. Sorry, yes. Yeah, so the course history, yeah, it's hit and miss. He has the, the second and two eighths and a sixth. But then there's the mixed in there, the 22nds, the 46th. So yeah, there's a bit and, of a and I think, I, think that, I think that kind of bolsters your point. Right, because the golfer that I'm going to come on to, that I'm going to take a chance in, of in the top of the 8K range, that you just wonder if that's going to be the more likely result. Like they've had two really bad finishes here, and, and they just happen to be. Um, I would just go with Fitzpatrick. I know he's going to be popular. He's a two-time winner. I'll take I'll take the hit on the ownership. You have to do it. Um, and I think I'd probably have a go at Sergio Garcia just to differentiate as well, because I think that yeah. he's been incredibly solid. I think he's going to be. Really, don't suppose he's grateful for for the chance to play here, but he knows he's not here entirely on merit. Um, and his last three starts here, fourth, ninth, and sixth, and, and loves this part of the world as well. So uh, happy to take Sergio there. And a feared. Is there anyone you're taking on? <sighs> I think <laughs> it's, it's it's tough in this kind of range, isn't it? I think for me, if I, if I had to, I will take on Abraham Answer on the fact that I don't know what he's going to do. Uh, and when it's a don't know, uh, I'll take a chance. He's not going to be here. Yeah, I, I think I was between the two of them, Answer and, and Hatton. Um, Answer, obviously, course debutant. 10-8 is, is quite a hefty fee for a DK side of things. So, yeah, I, I can't can't argue with that. 8K range, and I'll let you kick it off. You said you had a, a pick in the 8K range that was, was stepping out to you. So who's that? So, so I think for me, absolutely nobody is talking about Patrick Reed. Like, and, and I don't know if it's because he's kind of got this late invite. I don't know if it's because people don't like Patrick Reed. I know he's not playing very well on the PGA Tour, but everyone was kind of reaching at him about the fact that he was 22 to 1 the Bermuda field and how ridiculous was that. And and I know that he's, I think if he'd have carried on that form and finished kind of like top 20, top 25 since in, in uh, Mexico and Houston, then maybe he'd be, they'd be all over him. But I think the fact that he's had, he's had a couple of decent rounds in that time, you know, there have been some poor results but better rounds than, than the scene in the eye i think so patrick reed for me i think could be worth the chances um you know just looking at his course record here 10th 10th second 28th and third now i've got to remind myself that he's actually played here that many times but that's ridiculous that like he's played here five years uh, of the last six um he's had one really bad finish and you would probably point that 28th as the most likely result but i think whereas i think people are just going to go everywhere else in the 8k range I'll take a chance at the top of it with Patrick Reed, um, and then I think you're pretty safe with Minwoo Lee, right? Like, you know, it, there's no miscut potential where he could just lose interest. Like, he's just going to score all, you know, really, really well. Obviously, Dean Burmeister's in those two guys. Um, if you need cash, obviously go to Burmeister. Um, if you need, to, if you've got some left over, take Minwoo Lee. 
and I will fade Antoine Rosler. Um, absolutely hated what he did on Sunday uh, uh, last week in Dubai. Uh, he literally could not aim far enough right and still miss the left-hand side of the golf course. Um, he was absolutely appalling. When you look here last year, um, he was coming into the win and he was 36. So strikes me is that he's, he's maybe a bit inconsistent. We know that about him already. Um, if, if unless he can fix that golf swing in a space of two or three days, um, I'll see him finishing quite lowly down here. Yeah, well, my 8K range was Min, Minwoo Lee at 7, Thomas Peters at 8-6, and my fade was Anton Rosner. And then I put in brackets, Reed question mark. I think Re- Patrick Reed is probably the easy fade for people this week, if they're coming into yeah. it. Uh, Anton Rosner was the one that stood out to me for all the reasons you're saying, so can't argue there at all. The Patrick Reed one, what I what I try to weigh up when I'm doing the ownership is that if we have a lot of guys that are just thrown into a golf contest lineups because it's golf and they usually watch the PGA Tour, are they going with name recognition? And then a Patrick Reed, for example, jumps up in terms of ownership over yeah. some of those European Tour guys. And I think at the price point that they're at at the minute, Patrick Reed at 8-9, Min Lu, or sorry, Will Zalatoris at 8-8 is going to attract interest. Even Shane Laurie, they're, they're, I don't want to be derogatory towards our uh, stateside friends, but they might be looking at those and going, well, Shane Laurie... He's European. He's going back to Europe. He's 9K. That's a guy that I can get to. Patrick Reed, I know. Will Zalatoris at 88. Oh, that sounds like good value stepping down in class. You know, and then there's our guys on the European tour and Min, Min Woo Lee at 87. Thomas Peters at 86 coming just below that price point and hopefully, or maybe going on under the radar to a large percentage of guys that might enter the contest this week, given the 10K uh, stake that's there and I think it's a 30,000 overall prize pool, which is, you know, exception to the norm as it, as it is for the European Tour. So that's why I'm sort of pivoting down to those guys. And we've seen the recent form with Thomas Peters that uh, <clears throat> is obviously trending in the right direction. So, yeah, 8K range. I think I struggle each week to try and nail down three guys in a fade in the 8K range because I'm usually drawn to a lot of guys. But this week, Anton Rosner was absolutely the standout and even in previous weeks uh victor perez is usually my standout fade but i'll drop down and i'll kick off the 7k range and adri arnhouse at 7200 now (laughs) this has been a love-hate relationship i don't know if you've caught any of the shows but completely and utterly avoided him at valderrama um rightfully so and made a few quid in matchups as a result was the previous week and the week after was on him, got got a fairly good return. I don't know this week that is he being completely under the radar at the minute, that he has shown glimpses of recent form on tracks that don't necessarily test your all round game, that you 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 know, there's not a lot of pressure off the tee and that on that side of things. Um and maybe, you know, I don't think the rough is particularly penal. Maybe you know more about, about the, the in terms of the course than me, whether it is penal, but it doesn't come across as particularly penal. And Adrian House is one of these guys you can spread about off the tee, and then the short game can get him out of a hole more often than not. So that's a guy that I, I definitely like in the 7K range. And Nicola Hoygaard at 7,000 really surprised me why he was coming in this low. Just looking at a very consistent golfer this year that has almost outdone his brother um who was on the radar long before Nikolai if you like um maybe to, to wider audiences so two guys that I thought 7,000 and 7,200 I definitely like my fade 
very very easy for me is Robert McIntyre at seven thousand six hundred. I just can't get to to Bobby Mack at the minute at all. Um, completely lost his way really, and I just hope that if he's not going down to South Africa, I assume he's not, that he just gets the time to reset and refocus and get back to where he was. I think we thought that was going to happen um, in Scotland with the Dunhill Links where he came home to, I think it's Oban, is it, that he's from? But yeah. he had that bit of downtime and maybe the game would come and pick back up after the Corn Ferry disappointment, but it just hasn't happened. And I think he's here because he has to be here rather than maybe through absolute choice. So hopefully he gets few weeks or a month to himself now to re to reorganize but yeah easy fade for me at 7600 yeah and look for me i think that nicolai hoygaard's going to be very very popular uh for very good reason uh i like what you said about the fact that he's you know everyone remembers Rasmus because he got the win first and then he's obviously gone on to win three times but nicolai hoygaard actually comes second to sergio garcia very very early on he was 19 or 18 even at the klm open mm-hmm. um and, and when you listen to their amateur days and Certainly, from what I've seen over the last six months or so, there's not much in between. If if anything, I would say it's more well-rounded. Um, so, obviously, Rasmus has got the wins. I think he took advantage of the uh, the pandemic last year where the courses were a bit more resorty um, and he could go back-to-back. For me, it would be Sean Crocker in this range. Um, I'd love to take him as an outright bet. Um, someone asked me who I'd bet blindly next year on the European Tour, and it was him, between him and Moronk. Um, he's just... Like we're talking about Beesberger and Fleetwood, he's kind of that light, um, whilst also being worse with the putter. Like he is putting. Um, <laughs> so I think that for me, again, just because there's no miscut, just because I know he can go and shoot at 63, the putter gets hot. I like him. I obviously like Derek Higo for the same reasons I spoke about in the bet. I'll fade Richard Bland in this price range. Um, He's been brilliant. Like he, he has proven me wrong all year round, right? Um, but I just think it's got to come to. Uh, he's been talking about a tear in his knee. Um, he's obviously been playing well while he's got a tear in his knee. So, um, you know, it's, it's hard to kind of go against him. But um, you know, he's only played here once, and he wasn't very good. Um, and and to me, that that's got a it's got a tear. I think. Um, I think he's tried to rest it as best he can. I think he'll put in an admirable performance, but uh, certainly going to fade him here. Yeah, I, I think definitely the uh, which brother gets more ownership. That's a very good question, Josh. Um, I, I honestly I'd say Nikolai like, just because Nikolai he's Nikolai probably on short term form. Is he cheaper as well? Uh, yeah, he's, he's 7,000. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, yeah. I, I'd say Nikolai then. Um, get the higher ownership. I mean, it's yeah, I love dropping down this range. Like, I'm <laughs> trying not to get the show too long winded, but like, there's. Everybody, everybody within this field, you and me will probably have been on or had ownership in, or there's been there's been a narrative to them throughout the PGA Tour or the European Tour this year where we've backed them in DFS or we've backed them on betting cars. Like I've been all over Kawamura at times. Um, my next guy when I jump down into the the six K range um, is Johannes Beerman, who I was on last week and was absolutely abysmal so not going to say too much about that he has got here last week he was coming off a five-week layoff he's got hopefully dusted the cobwebs off last week maybe doesn't have the necessary game to excel here but in terms of off the tee 20th and adjusted stats uh 26th and approach and then just all around ball striker so we've got an it's like a poor man sean crocker if you like where the ball striking side of things is all great the uh 
short game is what lets him down at times. So I am going to put him in just because I think he's going to be very low owned. Um, I think a lot of lineups will fill out with a 6K range. And he's in there up against Guido Migliozzi at 6'9 and Rafa Cabrera Bello at 6'8. So he is not going to be the guy that's going to draw attention in there. And that's why I'm going to put him in for the 6K side of things. And the other 6K guy was Adrian Moronk. Yeah, don't need to talk too much about that. I've already gone over why I like him. Um, Adrian Moronk might be one of your 6K guys, is he? Or have you? Uh, yeah, he, he Skyler be, and Guido? Um, or? No, no, no. I would definitely go with Adrian Moronk. Uh, just to give you a, a different one, Thomas Dietrich is obviously the same. I think the upside of Thomas Dietrich is very, very good. Definitely. Um, but um, uh, for me, the, my my favourite player of the week, which is which is pretty ridiculous, uh, is, is Jason Scrivener. Uh, sixty ones, which is uh, which is pretty frightening when when you, you your favourite plays basically the bare minimum. But um, I'll try and make the case for him. So um, he was tied tenth in this event on his debut two years ago. Now I think it was uh, maybe last year ago, um, and that was basically down to a fine around sixty five. So he's a guy that I think just carries on going. No miscut suits him perfectly well. Um, when you go back to his location form as well, which is something you can pick up on. Uh, on tour tips, he had a second place finish to Tyrrell Hatton back at the Abu Dhabi Championship earlier in the year. Um, he's had two uh, top seven finishes in the Dubai Desert Classic as well. And he was 31st last week, where his best round actually came in the first round, but he was coming off the back of the Corn Ferry Tour finals, traveling over in the same week. So I can, uh, can forgive him for running on fumes there, but he shot a 63 in that final round of that Corn Ferry finals, which is so typical of him because he was poor for three rounds. And I think that's you know, potentially something that could happen this week and go 70, 71, 68, and then just go 63. I think he'll be, um, I think he'd just be a brilliant player to have there at 6,100. You know, it gives you all the opportunities to go um, all as you like. Um, as a fade, obviously quite hard in the in the 6K range because, you know... It's, you don't even have to worry about it. You don't have to worry about it. There we go. <laughs> no, Excellent. 6K range, we, it, <laughs> you get a free reign on the Tour Junkies. We're not going to put you under pressure to fade a guy in the 6K range. I think we could all maybe get down to the bottom, like Tapio Polkin in there and his bucket hat. and yeah, <laughs> like That's what I'm saying. There, there's guys who have done well on Tour this year in that 6K range. It's, it's fairly competitive in general. There will undoubtedly be one or two you know, do shock or, or outplay their value this week. Um, yeah, it's it's a range that I'm sure we will dip into on DFS and try and put some lineups in, which brings me to the one-minute men. I have stolen this from Pat and DB. I reckon we can be competitive. Say there's 10K at stake here if we can nail a lineup. What we're going to do is put one minute on the clock. Tom, you're going to kick off. Then I'll do two picks after that. Then Tom, me, Tom to round it out. So three picks from me, three picks from you. Are you ready and up for the challenge? I'm ready. Okay, let's hit it then. And give me who you want in your lineup first. Uh, Jason Scrivener at 6,100. Oh, no, Bern, no. Bern at 9,600. Oh, you're going to number two. Right, okay, let's see. Yeah, well, I am going to go to Paul Casey at 9-4, and I will also take um, Min Wu Lee at 8-7. We have 8,100 average left, 6,200 on the table, 30 seconds gone. You I'm pick, take... I know what? Yeah, you pick, and then I'll pick the last. I will take Dean Burmeister. 
and I have 8-2 to play with. Uh, Poulter's the 8-2, Willard at 8-1, Perez 7-9. I am going to drop right down to... Nicola Hoygaard, let's leave some money on the table. A lot of money on the table. Differentiate ourselves. We've got Casey in there. We did it in 57 seconds. I'm happy enough. So Scrivener, uh, Beesberger, Casey, Minwoo Lee, Dean Burmeister, Nicola Hoygaard. We've left money on the table at 1,200. You have to try and put yourself away from the field. I think ownership-wise, we're going to be fairly on side. We haven't gone to the top of the board, so I'm more than happy with that. Uh, let's just get to the best bets then, Tom. And You did put up Jason Scrivener. Top 20, plus 260 on FanDuel, probably available on Paddy Power and Betfair as well. And you've touched upon it already in terms of all your reasons as to why you like him. I'm going to go with Billy Horschel over Tyrrell Hatton at plus 140. Really, really surprised the market has gone against this one. I said I've touched upon why I like Horschel. I've touched upon why I like uh, or dislike Tyrrell Hatton this week. Plus 140 on Bet Chris, plus 125 on Pinnacle. So the sharper books are actually fading him. I don't think that a golf have him on side either in terms of this matchup, but I am more than happy to take Billy Horschel over Tyrrell Hatton as my best bet. And Tom, we've gone over an hour. That wasn't the intention at all, but I am more than happy and delighted to have joined us tonight for the show. Where can guys find uh, you? If... Yeah, where yeah, can I mean, guys that, find you? Just to apologise for going over the hour, that that's me. I rambled <laughs> an awful lot. Um, you can find me on Twitter, TomJacobs93. You can also find me on the media network for the European Tour Picks and Bet Show, which will be the DP World Tour Picks and Bet Show soon, uh, and the Lost Words podcast on Apple, everywhere else, Spotify, Amazon, etc. Excellent. Well, listen, I am more than delighted, as I said, to have you on board this week. Let's try and have some good juju from your recent wins and your colleagues' wins, and let's bring it to the Tour Junkies European Tour this week. Even DB and, and Pat are hitting winners now every single week. So, listen, I have to up my game. I'm going to get a winner across the line. I don't know whether it's going to be Adrian Moronk at 70 to 1 or Billy Ho at 22 to 1, but absolutely, guys, we're going to hit a winner this week between us. Tom, you've been excellent, and I'd like to just say thank you very much. Cheers. Tom, cheers guys that have joined us on YouTube. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, fellas. Thank you.